Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Bald Move Prestige. Today, we're talking about Wes Anderson's 2014 film, The Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, it's written and directed by Wes Anderson. And it might be in the top three for me, for Wes Anderson. Okay. It might be kind of his best. Uh, my, not my favorite necessary, but maybe his best film. Uh, I really enjoyed hmm. this. It's uh, um, uh, I, I guess I, 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 I liked it so much and I want to get so much to talk. I almost dispense with the pleasantries here. <laughs> it's written and directed by Wes Anderson. Um, it stars Rafe Fiennes. You'll know him as Lord Voldemort in Harry Potter, the Harry Potter films. Uh, he's also an evil person in Schindler's List. I presume he's an evil English patient because I've never seen that movie. He's also a decidedly not evil M. I don't know, gray M in the, the James Bond, Daniel yeah. Craig era. Uh, also stars Tony Revi, uh, Revel, Revelor, Revelori. Sorry about that. Uh, he plays Flash Thompson in the new Spider-Man films. Uh, F. Murray Abraham, who is awesome in Amadeus, inside Lewin Davis, and my personal favorite, Star Trek Insurrection. This really elevates that material. Uh, Adrian Brody, who uh, we uh, widely mock in Predators. He's also in King Kong, the Fantastic Mr. Fox, Darjeeling Limited, and he kills it. Killing it currently as Pat Riley on Winning Time on HBO. Willem Dafoe. He's the Green Goblin in Sp- the classic Spider-Man. He plays a crazy old lightkeeper in the lighthouse. Uh, you know him, you love him. Sarsha Ronan, star of Little Women and Lady Bird, among others. Tilda Swinton from Vanilla Sky Adaptation. Michael Clayton, Constantine, and Moonrise Kingdom. Edward Norton, American History X, Fight Club, Moonrise Kingdom. Jeff Goldblum, come on. Jurassic Park, The Fly, <laughs> Independence Day. Harvey Keitel. He's the wolf, Mr. Wolf in Pulp Fiction, National Treasure, Reservoir Dogs, Tom Wilkinson from Michael Clayton, The Full Monty, Batman Begins. We saw him recently in Valkyrie, Jude Law, Bald Moves own Jude Law from The Young Pope, Gattaca, Sherlock Holmes, Fantastic Beast, Jason Schwartzman, Shop Girl, Moonlight Kingdom, Darjeeling Limited, Fantastic Mr. Fox. We just saw him in I Heart Huckabees, Bill Murray. Scott Pilgrim. Hmm. Scott Pilgrim, Bill Murray, always be special in my heart for uh, Groundhog Day, probably for the rest of my life. Bill Murray. Oh, yeah. Owen Wilson, uh, longtime associate of Wes Anderson, stars in The Life Aquatic, Steve Zazu, Darjeeling Limited, Inherent Vice, Zoolander, Wedding Crashers, and many, many more. This film is, I mean, all of Wes Anderson's later films have been pretty star-studded, but this one kind of takes the cake. I've already said I love this movie. It's in my top three for Wes Anderson. What did you think about it, Jim? Yeah, I I feel like I was surprised to hear you say that. Some, for some reason, I thought there was a Wes Anderson movie you didn't like, and I thought it was this one. No, that's but, the Royal Tenenbaums. Oh, okay. Okay, it's the other one that feels like it could be this one. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, I mean, all Wes Anderson movies feel like they could be this one. 
True. Uh, I really enjoyed this movie. I was not prepared for how funny this movie was going to be, oh especially God. Ray Fine's character. I yes, I absolutely love his character. I think it is a surprising mix of characteristics. Um, mm-hmm. I I, I, do, I love how you know prim and proper and and on top of everything he is, and then he's just this foul mouthed guy who who speaks truth constantly. It's it's very funny. Uh, and he makes it worth the price of admission alone, I think. Um, and then everybody else comes along and does an excellent job as well. Uh, yeah, I found this to be a very endearing tale. I mean, come on, that's Wes Anderson in a nutshell, right? All yeah. of his stories are, it are endearing. Um, yeah, I, I just, I really enjoyed watching this movie. I don't know that I have like the, the proper literature context or anything with Steven Zweig. I know it's dedicated to him uh, to properly appreciate what Anderson's doing in this movie, but I felt like you didn't need that. You, you oh, can go no. into this movie and just enjoy it for what he put on screen. I'm sure. Cause like, I, I know enough about the, you know, cause I had enough time to look into it today. Um, enough about Stefan Schweig. Did you say his name was? Oh, I, I'm not even going to pretend to know how to pronounce it. No, but you did a good job. I, I liked how you did it. How, how, what was it again? I, I just said Zweig, but all right, that sounds good. That sounds good. Cause I think uh, W is a V. He, <laughs> I don't know where he's from. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, so I, I think, uh, I, 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 what I, from what I know is this is a guy who's most famous for writing about this very nostalgic and kind of longing look back at what kind of the general area of Germany, Austria, that stuff was before World War One. You know, before things okay. just went well, complete to shit, and you had you know just just kind of warfare and then fascism and all this stuff. And this this film definitely ties into that core. This. Oh, yeah. You know, like they say in the final films, like this is a guy who was a throwback to an era that he even was not in. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. he's just like this last vestige of this era of civility. And, you know, also that like there's that's a loaded term in these kind of contexts. Right. You know, right. Uh, But yeah, like this, this, this idea of um, a better time when things were you know just just people and things were better Mm -hmm. and before it gets turned over to a bunch of boorish you know uh (laughs) what does he call them uh he calls them uh you filthy goddamn pockmarked fascist assholes before the world gets handed over there you've got you know you got this this time before and i certainly got that that like um i'm not sure in the 2014 context what um you know, if anything, uh, uh, Wes Anderson was thinking, I, I feel like he just read this guy's works and is like, I kind of want to write something about it. And he mm-hmm. took him and some of his writing associates on this like European tour of like, you know, researching his works and all this stuff. And he kind of decided to come up with this fictionalized version of what this guy did, which is write these kind of bio pieces on these famous arist- aristocratic people and the people you know kind of in their satellites and orbits uh so he came up this fictionalized you know ray fine's character and it is like the amount of comedy they can wreak from this guy (laughs) who is so urbane 
just to be like when they smash cut to him, he goes fuckers. You know, it's just no. I don't know that that I'm a simple man. Uh, unexpected. You know, when when you've got me lured into like a PG setting and the drop in f bomb, uh-huh. it, it it kills me. Uh, especially from a character who you expect to be better than that somehow, right? Like, yeah, cursing is beneath him, but no, he's he's right down in that. And that's the thing is Ray Fiennes is known for being these very villainous. Like you can't get much more evil than a Nazi war criminal and uh, mm-hmm. an evil necro wizard that preys upon children. <laughs> sure. Like he's he's very good at that. But like this movie reminds you that he's also so funny in such a precise and timed way. Like so much of this verbal mm-hmm. comedy they do relies on like precision timing and i know there's a lot of editing you know wes anderson style kind of like you know because so he can like trim frames but like you just get the idea that ray finds especially when they're in the same frame like he just he just got that down pat Mm -hmm. um if if you haven't seen him in this but you've seen why would you've seen not seen this uh hail caesar you remember that film where he plays this like put upon english filmmaker who's trying to get this american hick to Mm -hmm. do like fred astaire lines and you know he's trying to walk him through it's that's exact same essentially the exact same character this like um very civilized very urbane guy who gets thrown into a stressful situation and where those cracks start to show in his facade uh and it's just it's just really funny and i enjoyed following that character and and our other main character through what's kind of a mystery whodunit sort of movie and also a prison break mm-hmm. movie at the same time there there are a lot of different uh pastiches of those types of movies in there uh yeah yeah and and somewhere in the middle of the movie i realize i'm watching a different movie than i expected to watch yeah yeah and you know we don't typically do comedies on bald mm-hmm. move and i i kind of i remember when we were selecting this as as one of the, um options to give our executive producers to vote on for us to cover there's a little debate. It's like, ah, you know, it's Wes Anderson. Is it a, you know, is this a comedy? And I don't, had you ever seen this film before? No, it's the first time. So I've seen this a couple of times and I'm like, it is certainly really funny, but I feel like there's enough to discuss, especially since we haven't discussed a lot of Wes Anderson films that, mm-hmm. you know, we'll at least get 30, 30 minutes out of it. So hopefully we will. Um, since we don't talk a lot about Wes Anderson, um, I don't think we've re- re- covered a lot of his films. Mm-hmm. what do you he's got such a distinctive style how oh, would yeah. you describe it for people uh i've heard it described as full-scale dollhouses um <laughs> okay. in its in its vibe and i think that's pretty much exactly right uh yeah it, ever, ever, like if you want to say every frame of painting his mm-hmm. stuff is that right it, it's telling stories with costumes it's telling stories with uh props and sets and He's like, like, he's like what if Mr. Rogers had a hundred million dollar budget for his neighborhood? <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. That's what Wes Anderson would come up with. Um and, and what if Mr. Robert Mr. Robinson would throw in uh Mr. Rogers rather would throw in a, a fuck every once in a while in a script. That's the thing that always surprised me in Wes Anderson movies is he's not afraid to go to given the dollhouse setting, he's not afraid to go to very dark places. <laughs> no. Okay, how about um 
let's call it the sharp objects version of a dollhouse because that's how that's the vibe I get where like there's a darkness sometimes underneath Mm -hmm. the the candy colored exterior of a Wes Anderson film and I really appreciate it every time and I'm always lulled into a false sense of comfort by the the aesthetic of a Wes Anderson movie yeah and then he hits me with something that is so out of left field so so completely off kilter in the setting I'm in that I'm both shocked and delighted by it every single time. The other thing that I think is a hallmark is how disciplined he is as a filmmaker. Like so many of his shots are just locked down and geometrically yeah. framed. And he does that even when he's doing, uh, maybe because of when he's doing these um, very fast, like pans, like he doesn't cut mm-hmm. uh, from camera a camera B. He just swings the camera uh rapidly uh he does like these long tracking dolly shots like yeah. um like uh uh the, the aaron sorkin walk and talk only mm-hmm. at 1.5x speed you know yeah everything's primary color everything is like in proportion to the classical greek you know <laughs> uh, uh, uh ideals um mm-hmm. every frame of painting as you said the costuming uh the color ev- the textures yeah, everything yeah. just feels so bespoke for every frame uh and so such remarkable consistency across across several mm-hmm. films too um even when he didn't have the budget to pull this shit off like i remember we we're talking about in rushmore he yeah. was finding ways with like window frames and aquarium frames to get the same kind of effect going when he couldn't just like hey here's five hundred thousand dollars build this fucking budapest set you mm-hmm. know right We'll be right back with more Bald Move after this brief pause. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now back with more bald move. Uh, it's I I love it. I mean, some people some people decry it. Like I, especially of late, I've heard people say, "Oh, he's making the same damn movie he always makes." And I'm like, "That's so <laughs> shitty. That's so." Imagine like you hear Martin Scorsese's got another gangster movie come out. You go, "Oh, fucking Martin Scorsese got another gangster movie come out." You'd be right. like, no, "Fuck yeah, Martin Scorsese's got another gangster movie come out. I can't wait to see what twist he's got on it." Like. Yeah, he's got a look else at his... who makes movies like this. Why? Yeah. Why wouldn't you want him to continue doing the thing he does, yeah. especially when you love it? You, you know? want him to make a Fincher film? You want him to make it as a make a Soderbergh film? <laughs> sure. No, there's only one Wes Anderson. Let him fucking make Wes Anderson films. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's such a it's such a shallow read to say that they're all about the same thing. Like that's right. true of almost every movie. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, they all have like the same basic human themes to them. But I, I find that his are. I don't know. They they resonate with me because I feel like one of the other hallmarks of a Wes Anderson film is it's about deeply weird individual people. Hmm. And I kind of feel yeah. like I've always felt like I've been a deeply weird individual. Um, hmm. and, and yeah, it's like you get to have like uh, it's kind of like almost like um 
that that Edward Scissorhands or that that Tim Burton kind of quality to any love story that he has. It's not going to be a straightforward conventionally. Okay. You're not going to have Matt Damon and uh, Scarlett Johansson on a checkered picnic, t- you know, bl- blanket uh, in a Wes Anderson film. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I I just I just like that kind of skewed take on you know pretty Pollyanna topics. Oh yeah. Yeah, I do too. Um, like I said, I am always surprised by them. Uh, I, 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 the other thing about this movie is the the particular quirks that it introduces. I don't, I don't know if I've seen them before in Wes Anderson movies. I probably have, but I was yeah. really surprised to see some of the characters turn up the way that they did. Like Harvey Keitel turns up in this movie, and I don't even recognize him. Because he doesn't have his signature look. Uh, he has about as right. far from his signature look as you can get. And I only recognize him through his voice. And they I don't know if that I would have recognized him at all if they gave him an accent, which they give almost everyone else an accent. Ed Norton comes on the scene. He doesn't have an accent. Harvey Keitel doesn't have an accent. And I think... Maybe one other person doesn't. I don't know. It, it's Jeff it's Goldblum weird that he, isn't doing an accent, is he? He's just doing Jeff Goldblum. Right. Why is it that he is so meticulous about creating a, a vibe with his visuals and then completely disregards the idea that these people would need to have particular accents? <sighs> There's a visual versus audio uh, discrepancy that I'm seeing here and I don't know why it is, but I really enjoy it. I, there's something Mm -hmm. particularly cute about the way that in this world where these people should have accents, they don't or they have like their, their standard New York, a New York accent. Like Harvey Keitel is doing the wolf in this movie. He is except for he's got no hair. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I wonder if it's because he likes certain actors and how they look and how they portray the part and he cares less about what they sound like. Or even like I feel like another thing is like sometimes I think Wes Anderson is amused by the limitations. Like um, Mm -hmm. I remember one of the things his interviews like it it was driving him crazy that like on when you know they're filming a fantastic Mr. Fox that they're the fur on these creatures would kind of move and shift from scene to scene because people were animating them as you touch them their fur would shift it's impossible so like they're just furs just constantly dancing in motion but I think after the first day or two he's like actually this kind of gives them a sense of vitality and, and, mm-hmm. and, and a visual kind of interest or kind of jittery and stuff. And, and I like, I like the fact that, so I feel like the, some, and it's funnier. It makes them kind of funny and twitchy. Yeah. Uh, so I feel like maybe, you know, when you've got this very exotic locale where everyone should have some type of accent, it feels mm-hmm. like that it's kind of funny to him that some of these characters have bad accents or no accent at all. Yeah, and when we say no accent at all, it's obviously American centric, right? We we know that Americans yes. have accents com- as as thought we of by the rest correctly. of the world. Correctly, the rest of the world talks real funny, sometimes <laughs> right, incom- right. incomprehensible gibberish. To, to be to be frank, but yeah, yeah. So that's I, our I guess that's the thing. Like, yeah, he hires actors and works with actors for their qualities. I, yes. I guess that makes a lot of sense, and he doesn't want to get in the way of that. Like, can you imagine? Owen Wilson trying to do an accent. Can you imagine Bill Murray trying to put on some some serious accent? Like like yeah, not right. a funny Austrian accent or something. Mm-hmm. I can't. I honestly can't. So yeah, uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. He he casts his movies 
for the exact qualities he wants and he gets that yeah and that's the other is like one of the pleasures of wes anderson film is like he seems to select for chemistry amongst cast because like almost everyone that Mm -hmm. shares a screen has got some kind of like even when they're like deadpan locked down there's some crackle between them Mm -hmm. um you you mentioned uh harvey keitel being unrecognizable what about tilda swinton oh yeah i didn't even fucking realize that was her until the credits rolled Oh, what really? Wow. Yeah, okay. I mean, she's under I a lot know. of makeup and a lot and of makeup. Contacts. Like her skin looks like bacon, and I think she's going around in like sunglasses a lot of times. So it's like, yeah, I thought it was mm-hmm. almost like not quite a Tom Cruise in Tropic Thunder, but <laughs> sure. enough to throw me off to Tilda the the Swinton scent. Uh huh. Completely lost me. Uh, what else should we say before? I because like I you know there's there's spoilers to talk about. Um. I think we can get into spoilers. Okay. Well, if you haven't seen it, uh, and I know a lot of people have, because this is uh, incidentally Wes Anderson's. I, I don't. I don't. I, I think still to this day his most successful theatrical release. Okay. Made a lot of money. It's considered a, a success. But um, this movie is about man. This movie has got three different frames that they establish it. Uh. The two biggest frames are Jude Law as a journalist is visiting this Grand Budapest Hotel in the 60s, where it is kind of a wreck of its former glory. And there he meets the owner of the hotel, who was also a former bellboy at the Grand Budapest. And he, through a series of uh, like an extended flashback, that's essentially the entire movie that uh, the the elder version of himself will narrate explains how he came to be the bell boy or the the lobby boy of the grand budapest and his relationship with its uh is he the hotel manager or the concierge he's a concierge he's, a, yeah. he's concierge okay um that's played by ralph fines and just how he is trained up to be a lobby boy and then uh this this hotel is somehow caught between world war one and world war two mm-hmm. and uh you know how how can this gleaming bastion of civility stand against uh, these uh, <laughs> filthy goddamn pockmarked fascist assholes? Yeah, uh, and uh, it's a mur- It's it's um, like like Jim said. It's it's a murder mystery because uh, early on, the Tilda Swinton's character uh, dies, and uh, Ray Fine's character is implicated in this, and there's a whole big inheritance thing. Um, yeah, and this is for a Wes Anderson film, I think, pretty, pretty tight. Like, yeah, everything kind of fits. I think it makes sense in retrospect. Um, you know, it plays I mean, with, with it, some it plays with the cards right? kind of face up and it, you know, uh, but also is got plenty of twists and turns. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's lots of embellishment. A lot of embellishment. I think of like. Ed Norton smelling la la air de panache. panache panache yeah and and on a train and then somehow tracking him to a mountainside where he's just ski luged down the side <laughs> of it uh somehow just showing up yeah I mean there's a lot of embellishment a lot of yeah uh look this is a fantasy story you just got to go with it yeah well that's the thing is they it's they, fun there's the there's a lot of interesting, like slightly skewed contradictions in this movie. You know, like most people say, if you wear cologne so strong that 
you smell it before you see the person and it lingers in a room for minutes like you'd be like they're way too cologne but the movie acts yeah. as if ray finds is just smells that good that you don't even mind yeah. the eye-watering concentration of whatever he's wearing when you're like confined in a three by three hotel with him. <laughs> elevator with him yeah or no no hotel elevator yeah and there's also like i thought it was interesting like when he's dispensing advice to the lobby boy which is like, you know, what the fuck? What is like the idea that there'd be like this uh, extensive apprentice program? Like, because the OK, we're well in the spoiler section now. Mm-hmm. The movie posits this um, almost like fraternal order of Batman and Robins. Yes. Amongst the all the world's great concierge concierge and, and uh, lobby boys. Lobby boys. <laughs> and like there's it's so <laughs> farcical that that would be something that you could train or aspire to be in like mm-hmm. some kind of secret society way. But I like how they have like, you know, you must know what the guest hates. It's like usually I did. You know, it's like you, you, you probably need to know what the guests uh, are interested in and what they like. But he's like, no, you got to know what they hate. That's what's a, it's like just re- kind of slightly mm-hmm. things that are off about that. This guy is over perfume, but you're supposed to understand he's I, I, I enjoyed that, that it's like, yeah, what would you how would you apprentice a lobby boy? And then how can you make weird versions of that? Uh uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I love that scene uh, where, you know, it goes through Bill Murray and then all those characters, those concierges. Uh, th- the thing that sticks out to me is how much trust the concierge puts in the lobby boy. Um, because the scenarios you find them in are increasingly ridiculous and and high stakes, right? Like there's maybe not increasingly because there's one scene that goes from like a concierge doing CPR on a guest and he gets the call and he says, take over to his lobby boy. <laughs> and the uh-huh. lobby boy just jumps in and starts mouth to mouthing this guy. Uh, the next one is like a soup tasting where the right. concierge is tasting the soup uh, and gets the call and the lobby boy jumps in. And and it, they don't play it like, oh, boy, I'm not sure this lobby boy is going to be able to handle it. They're more like the lobby boy is as capable as I am because I've trained him. Right. Yeah. And there's. Yeah. Some implicit trust and a very strong tie and bond between these characters. And and the movie does a lot to lend us the relationship of uh, of Gustav and Zero to to those other concierges. Right. It's it's making that direct one to one transfer. And I I felt that I I really liked it. Uh, Yeah, they're. And the man, the dialogue that he constructs. I can't believe some of the laughs he gets in this movie. Like one of the my favorite things is where, you know, Ray finds is on a train after they escaped. He's trying. He's like going over the kind of relative moral weight of different actions. And he goes, well, of course, it depends. And then uh, Zero says, of course, it depends. Of course, it depends. And it goes back to Ray finds with the impeccable timing. Well, of course, it depends. It's. It's just like, yeah. yeah, how can how can you do that in a script and chuckle to yourself and then make the audience <laughs> laugh, too? It's uh-huh. like, I wish I knew, man, because I'd be I'd be a funnier person. But good Lord, um, the his extended like where he finally kind of cracks and he shows disappointment in zero because zero's done all this crazy resourceful stuff to get him out of prison. And mm-hmm. he's like, well, let's go to a safe. House. No safe houses. You know, well, give me, hand me my bristle and fake nose. Oh, I've got no disguise. And it's like, well, at least get me a squirt to lay the panache. I can't even get a squirt. <laughs> and he's just starting to harangue him. And, and he's uh-huh. like, you know, why? Why did you come as an immigrant to this society? And and uh, it turns on a dime from being hilarious to being heartfelt. 
because Zero's like, yeah. well, I'm not an immigrant. I'm a war refugee. Mm-hmm. And then Ralph, you know, Ray Fiennes feels like a complete asshole, like like he should. Right, I, right. I just constantly marveling at the script. It was like, how do you balance all of this heavy stuff with all this lighthearted, just whimsical, crazy shit? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's it's wild. And every character is such a caricature of of tropes you've seen in other movies too. Like I, I think of Willem Dafoe's character in this. He's he's wild, man. He is an assassin sent to kill uh, Gustav over this painting that they think he's stolen uh, and this inheritance that they think he's stolen. And I just, I, I don't know how to describe him. It's like, <laughs> he's a literal bulldog of a man. Like you've, you've heard that phrase. I've heard that phrase before, but he lit like he's got, they, they made uh-huh. it with a prosthetic jaw with a huge under was it over overbite underbite with the teeth kind of sticking up like it's he's a monster yeah, like you paint his wears... skin green and he's uruk high <laughs> sure sure i mean that's almost always true of willem defoe <laughs> but and, and if you if you doubt that go see as evidenced in spider-man uh here's the thing though he he wears these like eight rings right one on each finger mm-hmm. and you can see him like standing back there cracking his knuckles looking at his mm-hmm. rings while the inheritance stuff is going down and i'm like well those are going to be significant uh and the way it turns in this inheritance uh this will reading from something that could be civilized into just a, a barbarism is hilarious to me with that punching scene where I forget who starts it, but everybody in that scene gets punched. Yes, uh, the punch right in the at nose the, at the reading of the will. Yeah, it's so good. And and throughout this movie, I, I don't know if this is a Wes Anderson thing where he like does this all the time or if it's just this movie and he thought it'd be funny. But there are a lot of bloody noses through this movie. Basically, anytime someone gets hurt, like th- there's a whole scene of a bunch of Nazis shooting at each other in a hotel uh, uh, lobby or <laughs> yeah atrium whatever it is uh-huh, and, and uh-huh. nobody gets shot nobody gets hurt nothing nope. but every time someone gets hurt in this movie it is a nosebleed from being yeah. pressed against a wall punched in the face it, i mean that's obviously an intentional choice i don't i don't know why if it was just funny to him that the nosebleed would be the thing to signify an injury but i found it funny it is interesting because now i think about it, there are a lot of broken noses and facial bandages i feel like in wes anderson films is it like, is this like a uh, long running joke of him and like Owen Wilson? They're like Owen Wilson's nose <laughs> look like it's been broke 17 times. So Wes Anderson's like, I'm going to, I'm going to wreck someone's maybe. nose as many times as you, Owen. That's my pledge, my movie career. And Grand Budapest, he like mm-hmm. knocked off a dozen. He's, he's, yeah. he's like, I'm just clearing it out now. <laughs> it might be, it might be. Um, I, there's man, uh, the set design you put away, you, you set aside the Grand Budapest Hotel, uh, the Stalag 19 or whatever it's called is an amazing set. I really like this is just for one freaking scene in the movie, but they got this estate reading room where it's just like all black wood paneling um, and decorated in nothing but animal skins and heads and like antler displays. 
and just racks and racks of guns and rifles. Um, and, you know, there's like this huge desk that Jeff Goldblum presides over and just a like crowded room of relatives that are all there for their own greedy purposes. It's funny because, like, I felt like this is a mint sense of danger and there's also very dangerous people there, but it never really pays off in that scene. No, it's it's really about, like, the danger in the room is is Willem Dafoe and Adrian Brody, right? Yeah, yeah. And them trying to frame Gustav for the murder of their mother that uh, mm-hmm. they're complicit in. Here, uh, here's the thing yeah. I never quite understood about this movie. Maybe you can clear this up. The The one strange missed connection or or loose end i don't understand how they ever came around to the idea that she was murdered because the end of this movie is basically like there's a second will a second copy of a second will uh-huh. um and it says in the event in case of murder <laughs> in the event of my murder open this and give everything to gustav uh-huh. but i never found in this movie a reason to think that she was actually murdered am i well, missing so, something what am i yeah, missing because the, it must the, be there the one butler that was on the lamb for the entire movie serge yeah serge they i either coerced him or just made him sign a confession and he found out about it and fled because he was afraid that these fascist asshole pockmarked goons would kill him but like he uh-huh. essentially had a he he was the the witness of a signed deposition that said that he personally saw this guy the night before come in there and put strychnine in her food or something like that. Oh, yeah. It's just I this just guy's eyewitness that. testimony. Okay. Um, so they're trying to find, you know, uh, both Gustav and him. I forget what that guy's name was. Um, gotcha. But yeah, God, that was also funny, too, when they're that guy was dressed as a priest and they're in a confessional and he's catching them up. And, you know, Ray finds reactions to where this guy would be like, and there's more. And then he just got look expect. And the guy's like to the story. No, I get it. It's like <laughs> the, the timing uh-huh. on that was so crisp. Just just tell us what the fuck is going on, you know, because no one. Know, uh, I, I love the the scene where they've escaped, uh, you know, and they've contacted Bill Murray, the concierge, and he's, uh-huh. you know, spiriting them away to the safe house. And every time they get into uh, like an elevator or a lift or a funicular, I, I don't know what they're called. Um, mm-hmm. it, there's somebody in there that says, are you Gustav? Come with me. And then the next uh, even more unlikely and ridiculous uh, place for that to happen. It just continues to happen. And then how Willem Dafoe just shows up, right? He shows up. They, they're at the top of a mountain. Uh, they've switched cars and and tracks so many times that it's impossible for him to follow them. And yet he just shows up swinging one of those like incense chains in, in full monk robes at the top right, of this right. mountain. And then he's gone. Yeah, it's so good. And then that goes into the skiing and oh, losing he, sequence, which is amazing. When he gets, he's got these high heel boots. When he straps yeah, he skis on those. Oh my, <laughs> yes. and they do the insert so you see it. It's just like, that shit is just so funny. Uh, uh-huh. I don't, because like, I mean, there's so much skill involved in filmmaking when you're trying to get like sight gags. Like it's one thing to do sight gag of like, I don't know, dude zipping up his testicles and penis three different ways in a zipper. It's like, okay, that's just, (laughs) that's, that's just funny on some level, Mm -hmm. but this patent leather high heel boot snapping into a ski binding. Yeah. Just sent me, man. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
<laughs> it's just real. I don't know. It's real. It's it's really funny. I don't know how how you know and how you how you just know when to throw like, hey, let's throw this in as an inset. Uh, yeah. But man, I, I feel like either. every one of his instincts for humor paid off. Like usually mm-hmm. in a comedy, there'll be one or two where it's like, well, swing and a miss. But most of the stuff is just so sneaky and low key that like, I guess maybe that's it is even if it doesn't hit, you just like, well, it's just part of, you know, you just assume it's part of the drama or whatever. Uh, yeah. No, and I genuinely get lost in the drama of it. Like, are they going to be able to get away from this murderer? Uh, and then when they hit you something so ridiculous like that, I, yeah, I lose it. It's funny because I didn't remember uh, Adrian Brody plays a Nazi in this film. Mm-hmm. And when he's stalking uh, uh, Sersha Ronan's character um, in the hotel, he managed to be like menacing and dangerous when he's like, you know, he's got this look on his face. And he's in this like, you know, black mm-hmm. Hugo boss, Nazi uniform. Uh, and I'm like, holy shit. Adrian Brody, Brody actually looks intimidating in this context. And it lasted yeah. for five seconds because then like one of the great, one, one of the, one of the greatest Nazi or fascist farce moments, this side of like the producers takes place. Because those guys opening, like, without any rhyme or reason, uh-huh. just all coming out and shooting at each other completely ineffectually across this hotel atrium was another one that, like, I was just laughing out loud through. What, yeah. Do you have an inkling of what they're trying to say in that scene? Uh, I don't know. I have stuff that I bring to it. When I see that, I think they're trying Anderson is trying to say that these people are so gung ho about just killing and shooting anything that they hear shooting and it attracts him like a dog whistle, right? Like, Oh, right. what was that? Did I hear a gunshot? Maybe there's uh-huh. violence to be committed. Uh, they peek out their hotel door rooms. They see somebody there and they're just like, yeah, I'm going to shoot that person. Let's go. I, I'm ready. <laughs> and then everybody else pops out of their doors and, and does the same thing. It's just, yeah, that idea of like the eagerness to commit violence, uh, the 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 rot within these people goes so yeah. deep. Yeah, that's what I got. It's like um, they have one tool in their tool uh, set to yeah. fix problems, and it's also like very ineffectual. Um, oh, and that's that's the other thing, right? Is they don't hit a damn thing. They're they're right. laughably inept. Which, you know, it's too bad real life fascism doesn't work that way because they're actually uh-huh. really good at killing people. Yeah, <laughs> they just can't they just can't solve solve any problems. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I uh, that's the thing. It's like they're. It's I, I, I honestly think the political commentary in this film is like beside the point if it feels like uh, like this film feels like it could have made anywhere between 1955 and 2015. You know, like uh-huh. any, in 2016, I think it would be a little uh, like to, past 2015, it would have a little bit more pointed uh, modern analog, you know, or mm-hmm. something. But like there is this kind of like, um, I don't know, there's 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 something to this film that's just like it's it's uh, more like Raiders of the Lost Ark in the way it uses Nazis like that. Just kind of buffoons. Um, they're fucking up a b- bunch of shit, but they're not going to amount to anything. Um, yeah. it's like an in, more of an innocence. And I guess that's what the Wes Anderson is, uh, uh, of it is too. And even like, what did you make of the film's choice? Cause there is a lot of sadness 
Like when you get uh-huh. to the end of the movie, there's like a 30 second se- sequence where F. Murray Abraham kind of like reveals that all these heroic figures that mm-hmm. we've grown very attached to uh, all met untimely deaths except for him. But yeah. he's just so matter of fact about like, oh, yeah, I lost my wife and child to the, the you know, the wandering grips or whatever. And, uh, you know, this guy got actually uh, hauled off a train and shot by a death squad sticking mm-hmm. up for me. What? What 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 was the film trying to say with that? Was it just That's, trying not to bog the comedy down or? No, I thought it was tied into the nostalgia, right? Of a certain type of civility or or maybe even decadence that like that that mentality of the violence and the the incivility just killed. Because um, because, you know, he's a he's a man kind of out of time anyway, Gustav. Yeah. Looking back fondly at a time that was more civilized or whatever, um, and then he's always railing against these these violent fascists. And yeah, my impression was the fact that they kill him means that they've killed the world that he wanted to live in, the world that yeah. may or may not have existed. You know, uh, existed for a certain set of people at a certain time, um, but represented civility to him. We'll be right back with more Bald Move after this brief pause. And now, back with more Bald Move. Yeah, I thought it's also like on your theme of uh, nostalgia that um, Zero came, keeps coming to this place to remember the good times. And mm-hmm. deliberately, like, you know, to bask, like, you know, like there's, there's something says about the steam bath. It's like, you know, like I, I choose to see the grandeur of what this was and like how decadent and, you know, this and that and not kind of like this, you know, what it's turned into this elegant wreck. And I yeah. think his like dismissal of the sadness and deaths is kind of like, you know, he spent this because uh, he orders this elaborate course meal, which kind of t- prepares you for how long this conversation is going to be had all this talk and then there's only like again 15 seconds of death and it's like what is he choosing to focus on was he choosing to remember the things that he lost the things that these people took from him or the things that he gained the things that he gained an appreciation for and i i uh i thought that was kind of it took me a while thinking but i thought that's that's a pretty pretty noble i guess thing to impart to the audience yeah makes sense positivity What else do you want to talk about? Because I've got a, I, I've got a couple things I just want to talk about that I admire. You know, like wasn't it funny when or things I thought were cool, but I don't have any more uh, like thematic stuff to talk about. I, the bald move audience is a very particular audience. Uh, we yes. we have a certain type of fans, and I just want to let all of all of the people listening to us know that the thing about breaking out of prison is even if you succeed, you're never truly free. You've got to exonerate yourself also, right? Because mm-hmm. otherwise you, you're just perpetually on the limb. Yeah, you're looking over your shoulder. You could have a Willem Dafoe after you. Just saying, when you break out of prison, make sure your, your goals are clear. God, that's a pretty worst case scenario. If you broke out of prison, who would you rather be hot on your ass? <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones <laughs> oh, or Willem oh. Dafoe? Tommy Lee Jones. I don't think Tommy Lee Jones is out to kill me. He's just out That's, to re- re- say, He's me. relentless, but he's bound by the law. It, yes. He's not going to brutalize <laughs> or kill you. He's just going to uh, bring you back to prison. Uh, Willem Dafoe is going to do all those things. He's going to, yeah. He might eat me. 
He might, he might. He might like cook me and eat me. I'm not sure. That guy scares me. He cut that poor woman's head off. Like, holy hell. <laughs> right. He chopped Jeff Goldman's fingers off in a door. Um, and then killed him. <laughs> I love the part of the movie where uh, Sar- Sarsha Ronan is baking cakes with digging tools to help Gustav and his <laughs> yes. people escape. And... <laughs> I, okay, I this I've I've never actually because I've seen this movie a bunch of times. I just laugh. I've never actually thought about it. Do you think that guard did not cut these up because the cookies are in the the pastries are in the exact shape of a clawed hammer, a file, <laughs> a chisel, a pickaxe? Is it just like that they've established that these particular pastries are like the stained glass window of the cake world? That like yes, not even the this fucking. Chapel fascist mm-hmm. screw prison guard would would chop him up if a, if a prisoner is going to get one i think that's it yeah i, I just, do yeah because like all these other hand-baked goods he's just, just chopping chopping <laughs> stabbing stabbing and he gets to this unwraps it it's like it's so beautiful mm-hmm. <laughs> i gonna pass it on to that comment but i i, I just think that's re- that's also really funny that they do not explain in the movie it's just like you got to understand that these cakes are that good yeah, and I guess no, this guy's the way getting... they talk about the Mendels. Yeah, it's yeah, 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 yeah. I've got one more thing. Um, this is another sight gag that always cracks me up. When Zero takes the newspaper, it's like monsieur, monsieur. It's it's a disaster, and you know the top headline is something about you know war breaking out in Eastern Europe in the country that he's you know currently having a hotel, and like the camera locks in on that. But as you're processing that headline, it scrolls down to the B story, which is, uh, you know, Tilda the, dead. Yeah. whatever. Tilda Swinton's dead. And I just think that is also just really funny, you know, yeah. that this this widow that might leave him a bunch of money, her death is is the thing that he's like, my God, we have to go to her right away. Uh, mm-hmm. I just think that's really funny. Yeah, the, they do the, a, a really good job. I, I don't know with, with the quirkiness of this relationship too. I was in the beginning of this movie trying to figure out what is their relationship Tilda Swinton and, and Ray fines and they seem a- to be romantically linked. Um, oh yeah. He's, from the he's jump her down for sure. Well, well yeah, but, but right from the beginning they, they, they feel like it. They're, they're sitting together in a hotel room and they're sharing a meal or whatever. And then he says goodbye to her. She professes her love for him. Um, and I'm like, okay, but but everything about this relationship feels very formal, like too formal to actually be romantic. But uh, over the course of, you know, the next 20 minutes, you learn all about what he's done with these old ladies. And that, that was the other thing that absolutely killed me is the conversation that he has with Zero. Um, where he's talking about like she was dynamite in the sack and he's like she's 84 years old he's like i've had older uh, also <laughs> as you get older you have to go for the cheaper cuts the more of more flavor it's it, it just like oh man the way this very prim and proper person is speaking so vulgarly about yeah. his relationship with this woman this very old very wealthy very blonde woman uh was hilarious to me Especially yeah. because he's speaking to what I view as almost a child, right? This lobby boy is like, 
hearing all this stuff from this older man that he respects and it's just so hilarious yeah it's, it, they do that like this just seems like random drops in his facade because sometimes it seems like it's, yep. it's stress and surprise that bring it out of him but like the another moment of that is like when he's making the blood pact with with um zero about mm-hmm. how you know they're going to help each other get this painting and they're going to fence it and he's going to give him 1.5 percent of the proceeds but then he's like, uh, of course, less whor- uh, less all the whoring and whiskey or whatever's left after all the whoring and whiskey we do. And it's like, you know, you wouldn't expect this guy uh-huh. to say that that's what he's going to blow his money on. Essentially mm-hmm. hookers and blow. Right. But that's yep. uh, yeah. So of course, assuming there's anything left after all that. Um, yeah, no, that's great. It's such a such an amazing character. The contrast yeah. in that character are so delicious. Yeah, he's like an interwar continental fuck boy uh-huh. but with very very but he's very classy about it he's extremely uh-huh. classy about it very refined taste so i don't know about this boy with apple painting but the one they replace it with is incredible <laughs> it's just incredible that's the other thing i love um wes anderson for that's a surprise out of context completely a gratuitous nudity yeah yeah you know like it's like this movie could almost be a children's film Except mm-hmm. for there is the painting of people flashing badge and there's a couple <laughs> women just hanging out topless. Uh, uh-huh. A couple older women hanging out topless that Ray Fiennes is, is working over. Uh, yeah. There's a lot and of that. Then, like Steve, uh, the Life Aquatic does that too. Where it's like that film is another one that could be almost G rated. But there's one of his deckhands is running around mm-hmm. uh, with, with, the, with, the, with the breasts out the whole movie. Yeah. Maybe Wes Anderson is saying, hey, what the deal, man? I, I put uh, Bill Murray uh, topless, no by bats and I, mm-hmm. but you put a 20 something actress out there and take her top off and they'll fucking fucking MPAA loses their goddamn mind and the R's come out. I don't know. Is he is he yeah. that based? I don't know, because there's a, quite a bit of cursing in this movie, too. Uh, That's true. That's Which true. makes it this, not not a children's movie, movie so. but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, no more so than nudity. I don't know. Yeah, and this is not just nudity. It's it's explicit. It's explicit sexuality is what it is mm-hmm. in that painting. Uh, For sure. Very funny though. Uh, yeah, I do. So where do you put this in the Wes Anderson? Oh Ooh. man, I mean. Life Aquatic is probably my favorite of his. Um, I, I love the musical numbers in that. I, I just love I love that whole movie top to bottom. I. Hmm. Because that's where I like my this sentimental favorites. My sentimental favorites uh-huh. are uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox and Moonrise Kingdom. But I think that the Life hmm. Aquatic and Budapest are better films. And I enjoy them almost as much as I, I, I really have a hard time deciding for my I'm on the same two. Like, I don't know if it's this or Life Aquatic. I think Life Aquatic is a little bit more melancholy. It is. Yeah, because this film is and about like 95 percent concerned with the good times and 5 percent. Oh, yeah. People died at the end. Mm-hmm. Whereas Steve Sazu is like more about dealing with loss in general. Yeah, um, it feels like there's a personal struggle in that movie as opposed to this, which feels like it's. There is no struggle from any character other than proving that they were innocent of a murder. Yeah. yeah. And, and attaining vast wealth. Yeah. I, I, this is not as, as personally interesting of a movie to me, 
Um, but it's definitely up there for comedy. I think this is one of the funniest, like uh, one of the funniest Wes Anderson movies. I would say so. Yeah. So I, I, I can put this in my top Mr. three because I like really Fantastic all, Mr. Fox too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have, the, the thing is, the, I thought the French connection was really good too. I haven't seen um, that. But it might be, it might be some of his more complex adult work yet. Oh, okay. Uh, and it seems like he's he's definitely kind of hand you know as he gets older he's he seems to be kind of heading more into that direction because I love mm-hmm. dogs is pretty pretty heavy as well. Um, you know I kind of oh, went in there expecting more that. fantastic Mr. Fox and it was you know not quite that lighthearted. Um, so I don't know he might be but you know like I said the uh, French Dispatch is also recognizably extremely Wes Anderson. Um, gotcha. I thought you said I love dogs. It's, it is. <laughs> but it's you said Isle of Dogs. Okay. It is, but that's. I think that you're. That, I think that's like you're supposed to. Oh, are you? Make that I've, association. Isle of I've Dogs. Never yeah. seen it, but probably yeah. Uh yeah, I I like it. Um, I I have not seen a lot of his movies actually. Now that I'm looking through his really? directorial uh catalog here, I've seen Rushmore, Life Aquatic, Fantastic Mr. Fox, this. I think that's it. You haven't seen the Royal Tenenbaums? No. Or Moonrise Kingdom or, or Darjeeling Limited? Nope. Well, that's not many you're missing. I mean, Bottle Rocket. I have actually not seen Bottle Rocket. Yeah, same here. That's one of the things I want to add. I don't. Yeah, I think I've seen. So I think um, I've only seen four of his movies. So if I made a top three, <laughs> I, I guess Rushmore would be at the bottom. Huh, I like Rushmore, okay. but it's not. It's not my favorite of his works. Um, wow, we talked about so, Rushmore. We did, we did, we covered. I think we did a podcast on about two years ago. I mm-hmm. just realized that I only have to see Bottle Rocket, and I'll have seen every one of Wes Anderson's films. Oh, wow. I did do that. It's nice. very, yeah, you know, it's it's hard to collect them all. Like you get to like Spielberg and Kubrick, and the, you got to put in some oh, work. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm almost there. I'm almost there with Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson. Uh, I think it's going to do it for us on Bald Move Prestige. Thanks once again for listening to our movie review here on Bald Move Prestige. Uh, Next time, we're going to be talking about the Clint Eastwood Western Pale Rider. It was nominated over A Room with a View and The Mission by executive producers. If you didn't know, each week, about every week, we send our executive producers on Patreon a list of three different movies that Jim and I have pre-selected as things that we'd be interested in covering and talking about. And uh, y'all get the final say. So we got Pale Rider coming up next. If you would like to find out, uh, you know, or if you'd like to get in on this uh, prestige movie voting, check out support.baldmove.com to find out how you can join the club. Uh, again, we'll be back real soon with Pale Rider. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.